Lord Jesus, help us to walk humbly the way of your cross. Amen. What is God's will? A simple question to ask, but far more difficult to answer. What is it that God wants for us? What does God expect from us? What does God intend for us? People spend their lives running either towards or from that question. I'm on the Commission on Ministry for the Diocese, and one of the things that we do is to discern with people who sense a call to ordination. Their stories are either about how they resisted the disruption of a call to ordination, or how their whole life has been leading them to the process. For some people, God's will has been a bludgeoning instrument used against them their whole lives, and so they are no longer religious as a result of that trauma. People are told that they don't measure up, or that they are not good enough, or that their past is too full of mistakes, or, or that they are nothing but a wretched sinner, and so they're no longer interested in God's will. Or maybe we just tend to think of God as an overbearing taskmaster, someone who expects too much out of us. And still others approach God as if God manipulates and uses us as tools to get what God wants out of the world, instead of seeing God as wanting us to share in the abundance of love and joy that fill creation. Now to be clear, it is always about God's grace, that abundant, unlimited, and unconditional love of God towards each of us and all of us together. God loves you, not because you've earned it, but because God is like a mother who cannot but love you. So if you've ever been told that you don't measure up, that might be true, but that does not change the fact that you are a child of God who is loved and worthy of dignity. However we want to approach that question of God's will for us, it always begins and ends in love. Of course, the question of God's will is not a small one. People agonize over this question, worrying that if they never get to the right answer, that they will have wasted their lives. And we fight with one another over the conclusions we reach. Just think about all of the debates that we have. Abortion, marriage, euthanasia, tax policy, national defense, civil rights. It does not take very long in such conversations before someone eventually says, what would God want us to do in this situation? It's a big question. What does the Lord require? Now, one of the most popular answers to that question is found in the writing of the prophet Micah. He has told you, O mortal, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, and to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. To be sure, that is a wonderful verse of Scripture. Some rabbis have said that that one verse is a summary of the entirety of the 613 laws found in the Torah. This verse, it reminds us of the obvious. God's will is for justice, and it prevents us from overcomplicating things. Walk humbly with God. The problem with something so pithy is that it can easily become trite. I've seen this verse of scripture on a bumper sticker before. And anytime we can reduce scripture 
to being a slogan, well, then we have prevented God from speaking through it because we've already decided what it means. So instead of reading Micah 6, 8, like something we would find on the front of a greeting card, let's spend some time with it and then consider how the cross of Christ, which St. Paul writes about in 1 Corinthians, is a helpful way of interpreting what Micah is pointing us towards. You all remember that show, Law and Order? It always begins, dun dun. Well, that, that's the sound that we should have in our ears when we read this section of Micah. This is a lawsuit. God says to his people, rise, plead your case. The Lord has a controversy with his people. God is taking us to court over our gross negligence. And what we heard was the case being laid out. God has saved the people from slavery in Egypt. God has brought them through the Red Sea into liberation. God has given them the promised land and been with them in their battles against enemies. And elsewhere in Micah, more of the specifics are given. Those in poverty are not lifted up, but rather they are trampled on. The economy is rigged for the wealthy. Widows and orphans are not being cared for. God's name is not being praised. Rather, the people are puffing up themselves. Though Micah prophesied 2,800 years ago, the indictments against us could be the same. And it is of particular interest that God names the mountains and the hills as the jury. For one, this is a way of saying that our iniquity is as plain as the day. But also in our context of global warming and environmental degradation, we can even understand that the earth is a co-plaintiff with God. There is a class action lawsuit against us. God's justice has not been done. The poor have been oppressed. The earth has been abused. And we are guilty as charged. Now, the people's solution at the time was not to deny these crimes, but rather to pay a fine and get off with community service. Sacrifices were offered as a way of paying off God and attempting restitution. Some of the meat from those sacrifices could then be consumed by those who were hungry. But God says, no, I will not be placated with bribes or paid off with oil or goats. We miss the point when we think that coming to church makes up for the fact that there are children who go to bed hungry. We are in error if we think that having in God we trust on our money excuses the fact that our public schools are underfunded. We are wrong to think that if we give a couple of thousands of dollars a year to church and charity, that's all that God wants from us. No, God has told us what the will of God is. We know what is expected. We have been told what is required of us. We are to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with God. Justice has been defined as sorting out what belongs to whom and getting it to them. And as children of God, every person deserves affordable and dignified housing. Every person deserves the dignity of having a well-paying job. Every person deserves the dignity of having their medical needs taken care of without crippling debt. Every person 
deserves the dignity of not being discriminated against because of the color of their skin, or their education level, or their pronouns, or who they love. Every person deserves the dignity of breathing clean air, and drinking clean water, and having fresh food. Every person deserves the dignity of living in a community that is safe, where no one has to worry about whether or not they will be the victim of the next mass shooting, where gang violence is not tolerated. And this is not me speaking, it's right here in Scripture. One day when we come face to face with our Maker, we will not be able to claim, well, no one told me any of this. And it, isn't it interesting here that justice is a verb, not an adverb, meaning that we do not have an economic policy and then evaluate whether or not it is just or not. No, justice is something that we do or something that we do not do. Are we in alignment with God's will for justice or not? And we are told that God intends us to love kindness. The idea here is related to mercy and loyalty. Now, perhaps if we consider the opposite, it'll help us to see what God expects. We are to reject ruthlessness. But we live in a ruthless world. We feel better about ourselves when we take others down a rung. We climb over others because we've been taught that those are the rules to win the game of life. We judge others as if it were our job. You know, we pray all the time, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. But when Jesus told us to pray those words, he did not want us just to say the words. He meant for us to treat each other with kindness and mercy, to be loyal to the way of love. The other requirement is that we walk humbly with God. The word walk is a way of saying live. This is not a requirement to go on a walking, walking pilgrimage, but rather it's a way of saying that we are to recognize that our lives are lived on the canvas of God's grace, on the stage of God's drama. The humbly part, that refers to having a posture of reverence and openness to the sacredness that's all around us. Walking humbly with God means that we anticipate and expect to encounter opportunities to love and serve God through others. Justice, mercy, and reverence. These are certainly three virtues to live by. It's what God expects and requires of us. But let's be honest. This is easier said than done. Our fears take away the courage that we might have. Our ignorance blinds us. Our selfishness distracts us. It's no different from the blessings that we heard Jesus pronounce in the reading from Matthew. Being meek and righteous and pure in heart and peacemakers, these are good things. I hope all of us want to do these things. But wanting to do something is not the same thing as actually doing it. And even with the best of intentions, we struggle to be the sort of people that we want to be. St. Paul puts it so well in his letter to Rome, I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. I can will what is right, but I cannot do it. This is the human condition. 
Hearing that we are to do justice, love kindness, and walk with God can be a crushing weight because a lot of us are just struggling to get through each day. And it seems like every time we take a step towards justice, we end up finding there was some unintended consequence to our actions that have created injustice somewhere else. In other words, if we are going to be judged based on the metric of doing justice, loving kindness, and walking with God, try as we might, we are going to fall short. But thanks be to God that we are not judged by our inability to keep the law, but rather through God's gracious love. The prophet Micah asked a hypothetical question. Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? Although Micah posed it as a human question, in 1 Corinthians we see the divine response. The message about the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those of us who are being saved, it is the power of God. We are not justified saved or made worthy by our ability to be poor in spirit or pure in heart or based on how much justice we do, but rather we are saved by God's effusive and abundant grace. We heard in 1 Corinthians that God chose us and that is what saves us. We do not earn God's favor. We have been gifted it. And because it comes from God, we can have every confidence that the way of the cross is the way of love. And the way of love is the way of life. And this is how we do justice. Not as a moral demand, but as a response to the fact that in Jesus, we have all we need. So we can stop competing with one another and truly pursue justice. We can be merciful, not because we are such nice people, but because we have received a mercy that we do not deserve. And so we reflect this mercy to others. We can walk with God because Jesus has shown us his most excellent way of love. Faith is not a to-do list not a series of hoops for us to jump through. Rather, what we are all about inviting others to come and see and to see more deeply ourselves is that in the end, love is all that matters. Love is the only thing worth living for, the only thing worth dying for. We have been given the tremendous gift of knowing this truth. And so we can enjoy life instead of enduring it. We are given opportunities to live in the light and joy of God's grace. And this way is opened by the cross, which indeed is foolishness to the world. And that's the problem with the church and Christians these days. We have tried too much to seem reasonable, worked too hard to be relevant, worried too much about our reputation. We need to be more foolish. Foolish enough to do justice regardless of the cost. Foolish enough to trust in the power of kindness and mercy even when people revile us, persecute us, and utter all kinds of evil against us. 
foolish enough to recognize that our lives are kept secure, not by our efforts, but God's love. Foolish enough as to proclaim Christ crucified as our way, our truth, and our life. Foolish enough as to live with love as what is required of us.